Well, we're, we're continuing in our Immerse series, and um, last week we kicked it off, and we'll go through uh, the end of August, or about midway through August, about five weeks in this series. And in all in, we introduced some, some big dreams, uh, some big dreams for our church, things that, that we want to see happen in, in our church. And I, 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 we, 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 I don't think these will just happen unless we take intentional actions, that we do intentional things to, to reach the goals that we've set in our all-in campaign. Uh, we, we, we've got goals of, of raising money to, to do some things in the building, and we've made good headway on that. And, and next week, uh, Ryan and Mara will give you an update on where we are on the financial aspect. But besides the financial aspect, we've set these, these high goals of salvations. We, we want to see our salvation candle lit more. Amen? You know, I believe that's a strong desire. That's one of the things I appreciate you as a church is that you have a strong desire to see people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to see people baptized. We want to see people come into the kingdom, come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And we set this, what may seem to be an extreme goal of 120 over the next three years. Seems like a lot. I got to tell you, I think in the eyes of God, it may be a small uh, expectation that that maybe God wants to do more in our midst. And and I truly believe if all of us together go all in, that God can do more than than 120. Now, 120 is one of those numbers you see throughout the Bible. And you say, pastors, there's something uh, magical about the number. No, it's just a good round number. If God wants to bring 300 and 40 into the kingdom through our church in the next three years. We'll be okay with that, right? (laughs) And that 120 is important for a number of reasons. But one reason it's important is because it represents people that you're praying for. (laughs) It represents children and grandchildren and neighbors and friends and coworkers and people that you are praying God will move in their life, that the Holy Spirit will move in their life, and they will come into relationship with their Heavenly Father. <laughs> and so there's some intentional decisions that, that we need to make, and, and, and I'm inviting you to make these intentional decisions, and, and this may not be for you. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want somebody to, to sign on to this just to sign on because someone else is signing on. But, but I want this to be from your heart. And at the end of this series, I'm going to give an invitation that if you really want to live these principles and, and you want to see where this leads you and leads us as a church, I'm going to invite you to commit to it. And, and, and there'll be no judgment. Nobody will be judged for not doing it. But if you are, there's going to be some expectations, <laughs> Uh, some participation, some some continuing conversations around these principles and what God is trying to do in our church and through our church. The the, the four principles, and there's really five in here. One is is in one principle represents two principles. I'll be immersed in prayer. I will be immersed in Jesus. I will be immersed in others with others. And I will be immersed in in God's agenda. Last week we talked about prayer and, and I truly believe if, if we want God to move in our church, it'll be through prayer, right? We, we understand that, that God moves through prayer and, 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 and so that, that is the first place that we are immersed. And the second is I will be immersed in Jesus. And, and this is discipleship. For our community to see Jesus in us 
we must immerse ourselves in Jesus. Uh, in other words, if we want people to see Jesus, we have to see Jesus first, right? <laughs> Does that make any sense to anybody? Are you guys with me today? Or did you see all the, the, the fun things and you thought he was going to do a VBS sermon and it's going to be really fun today? No, it's just going to be a normal dry sermon. I'm sorry. No soccer balls, no basketballs, no footballs. Anybody ever been on a plane? Who's been on a plane before? They, they give you that presentation at the beginning of the flight. You know, they tell you how to put on a seatbelt. You know what I always wonder when they're telling you how to put a seatbelt? How did these people get to the airport if they don't know how to put on a seatbelt, right? They tell you that your seat is a flotation device, and they tell you that whether you're flying over land or sea. And so I never take much comfort because what they're saying is you're flying over the United States, and if you're lucky enough to survive a crash from 30,000 feet and we just happen to hit water, you can float in your seat. <laughs> Think about that next time they're telling you that and you're flying over the United States. And then they tell you if the cabin pressure drops, an air mask will drop, and to make sure that you secure that air mask to your face first. <laughs> now that would make sense to me. Because the principle is what? If you can't breathe, how can you help anyone else breathe? And that applies to our discipleship. If we want to lead people into a relationship with Jesus, we must first have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. You get out of life what you put into life. You get out of discipleship what you put into discipleship. And if our intention is to show other people Jesus Christ, we have to dive headfirst into relationship with Jesus. So we want to show Jesus. We have to know Jesus. And, and you know, it's, it's like, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time to be patient. <laughs> what are you guys laughing? <laughs> we tell our kids to do things that we don't do very well, right? You know, it's like, it's like hey, you, be, you need to be patient here. And I think about myself, and, and maybe I need to practice more patience if I want to see patience in my kids. And if you want to see more Jesus in people you're in relationship with, maybe you need to practice more Jesus in your life. Maybe you need to lean heavier on him if that's the desire, if that's what you want to see in your relationship with others. To disciple others, I must first be a disciple. And and, and it goes without saying, and when people say that, usually then they say it, um, Jesus is the center of discipleship. That, that when we think about discipleship, we think about Jesus, and particularly in, in, in the church. I mean, you could be a disciple of a lot of things, but, but, but as we're sitting here this morning and we're talking about discipleship, Jesus is the center of discipleship. And, and I appreciated the song that, that Amy sang, the, the center song. It, it comes out of Colossians 1, 9 through 18, and this is this great passage from the Apostle Paul. He writes, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him. (laughs) He is above, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. (laughs) Wow. What a passage from the Apostle Paul. And, and, and we're not going to try to exegete this entire passage. We, we, we could spend weeks on this passage. It's, it's such a powerful expression of who Jesus is. But I, what I want you to see this morning is Jesus is the center of the church. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the center of the church. When we define church, it's defined by Jesus Christ. I gave you this quote from Alan Hirsch a few weeks ago, and it it, it just ran through my mind over and over as I've thought about what Hirsch is saying. It's so important. He says, Christology, the study of who Jesus is, determines missiology, the study of church mission, which determines ecclesiology, the study of the church. So what's that mean? Who Jesus is defines our mission, and our mission defines who we are. We are defined by our mission, and our mission is defined by Jesus. And so the right question is not what should the church be, but the right beginning question is who is Jesus. And when we determine who we want to be as a church and what our focus should be and and, and what our mission should be and what we're trying to accomplish, we determine this not by what other churches do, not by denominational norms, but we determine this by the person of Jesus Christ. And there's renewal and refocusing on Jesus. I, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not. I really, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, but, but I believe I have a realistic optimism. I, I truly believe across our country, our churches are in trouble. <laughs> and, and I don't say that in, in a pessimistic manner because I, the churches may be in trouble, but can I tell you the kingdom's not in trouble? <laughs> God's not in trouble. 
And I want you to know that, that outside these walls on this Sunday morning, there are spiritual people seeking for Jesus that have given up on the church. That is the reality. And so God is still moving. And, and so our doctrine of prevenient grace says he is the God who is one step ahead. So that means God is moving in our communities. And, and many have given up or forgotten or, or let go of the church. They've been hurt or, or, or we've, made, we've made mistakes. And yet God is still moving. But I still believe God wants to move through his church. That, that we are his bride. And so I say these things, I, I'm not saying that to bad mouth or talk poorly about the church. I, I, I think about that, the imagery. What, what is the church? What's Jesus say the church is? The bride? Talk bad about Terry to me one time. You hear me, men? Talk about my spouse bad to my face. There's probably very few things that may get me to, to respond with a lot of aggression, but that's one of them. I'm not going to talk bad about the bride. But I do think we need to acknowledge that there may be some renewal that needs to take place in the bride, Right? And, and read Jesus, Alan Hirsch writes this, we believe that Christology, the study of who Jesus is, focusing on Jesus, learning from Jesus, is the key to the renewal of the church in every age, in every possible situation it might find itself. The church must always return to Jesus to renew herself. When for whatever reason the church gets stuck or loses its way in the world, it needs to recover its prime, primal identity in its founder. That's truth, folks. That, that's truth for me as, as a Christian. You know, when, when I need to refocus, when, when I lose focus, when I lose the center, what I've got to do every time is go back to Jesus. <laughs> you know, when, when life doesn't make sense, when, when things happen that, that don't make sense, you know what I do? I go back to Jesus. And Hirsch is saying the, the key for churches in need of renewal, and I think a lot of churches need renewal, is refocusing on Jesus. See, Jesus is the center of the church. Jesus determines who we are. Jesus is the center of discipleship. And, and the Great Commission, you, you see this, this commission is, is, is centered on who Jesus is. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. But then Jesus came to him, them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. <laughs> See, it's all centered on Jesus. Now, you know, that they want to worship. And Jesus said, go. 
Nothing wrong with worship. We need to worship. But, but folks, part of this call of Jesus is a call to go. It's a call to be involved, to be active. So, well, Pastor, wait a minute. All this Jesus stuff, I mean, aren't we Trinitarian? <laughs> Don't we believe in God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? What, what, all this talk about Jesus, why aren't we talking about the Holy Spirit? And why aren't we talking about God the Father? And, and, and I want you to, I fully affirm that we are Trinitarian, but Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus shows us how to be kingdom people in the midst of messy humanity. (laughs) Who would say, Pastor, it would be a lot easier to be a Christian if it weren't for people? (laughs) That's true, right? I'm reminded... There's a story of the Bible and Jesus is in, in the boat and he's asleep. You know, he's been ministering like day and night and, you know, he's, you know, he's tired. People are pressed around him. He's finally in the boat. I, I'd imagine, you know, he's swaying back and forth. There's a storm and he goes to sleep. You know, he's done all these miracles and the disciples get frantic and wake him up right in, his, in the sleep. You know, it reminds me of my dad. He used to work, he's a barber, but he worked two jobs because he never made enough as a barber to feed five kids and, you know, mom not work and all that. So, so he always had two jobs and I'd go sit with him in the barber shop and, and dad would be sitting in the barber chair and he'd be leaned back. Those barber chairs are good for sleeping, aren't they, Frank? <laughs> he'd be leaned back sleeping, his eyes closed, and I would say, Dad, are you asleep? <laughs> He'd say, no, Paul, just rest in my eyes. <laughs> I imagine Jesus kind of felt like that. You know, if, if we were Jesus, we'd be tempted to get out of the boat and walk home, wouldn't we? <laughs> See, Jesus showed us what it means to be a kingdom person in the midst of people. People who don't have the same agenda at times. People who get it wrong. People who do not live in tune with the Father. Jesus gave us the model. And when we read the stories of Jesus, we see what it means to be a kingdom person in the midst of messy life. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I don't know how you, I don't know, just reading that this morning makes me want to shout. (laughs) That that we have a Savior that understands everything that we go through. Now, I I sometimes wonder if he he understands modern day traffic patterns, um, which seems to be the messy humanity that I detest the most. Anybody else with me? Say, Pastor, if it wasn't for driving my car, I'm the greatest Christian in the world. (laughs) I tell people all the time, people are pointing at each other. Terry's pointing at somebody over there. I tell people all the time, the only reason I don't honk my horn more is I never can find it in time. (laughs) But think about your life. Think about the hard things you've went through. As I understand scripture, Jesus has went through similar things. And when he intercedes on your behalf in the heavenly thrones, in the heavenly places, 
He can speak to the Father from an understanding heart of what it means to go through betrayal, of being sick, of being hungry, of being tired, of being forgotten. Whatever you have went through and whatever you're going through, Jesus understands. Discipleship is intentional. We choose to learn Jesus. We choose to make him the center. And so with Immerse, there are four intentional choices that I believe that we need to make if we're going to immerse ourselves in discipleship. And, and I don't know that, that any of these are, you know, this isn't priority one, two, three. It's not in that order. I think you could list these in, in, in any particular order, but, but, but all of these are important. The first is I will make Sunday morning worship service a priority. I believe in the gathered church. I believe that something happens in our midst when we gather and worship together. I think it's essential and important. I believe when we gather and we sing and, and we make Jesus the center of, of what we're worshiping, that the Holy Spirit can minister to us in ways that he cannot when we're by ourselves. And so I believe there is a great deal of discipleship that occurs in Sunday morning gatherings. You know, I, I sometimes am, am a little bit depressed on Sunday morning gatherings because I'm not sure that this part always stays with people like I wish it would. You know, us preachers write these sermons and think, man, I am going to say these words in this certain order and it will just resonate through their life for the rest of the week. It'll be, they'll, they'll put it on their Twitter feed and on their Facebook pages and you know, I've done this long enough now to know that, that there's things that, that I say that are helpful, and, 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 but, but the most important thing is what the Holy Spirit does in our midst when we've gathered. That, that in this place right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and, and using my words and using this environment and using these presents and using the songs to direct you the direction he wants you to go. And it moves beyond what I say, and it moves beyond what we say to the authority of the Spirit in the midst of the gathered community. You know why I know that? <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to me after a sermon and said, man, I am so glad you said that. And then I thought, I really didn't say that. <laughs> so that means the Spirit's speaking deeper than I'm speaking. Hebrew writer says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I just encourage you as much as you can be here. I know, I know there's other obligations and, you know, pastors take vacations too. And I say, praise the Lord. And you say, praise the Lord too. <laughs> But I understand that there's other things. But as, as much as we can, let's gather. I, I appreciated Ryan and Mara when they we talked about all in. And, and, and I think it's something that we need to consider, that serve in one, worship in another. 
You know, we, we have two services. And so there's ways that we can, we can keep this continuity of worshiping. The second thing is this, I will, re, I will participate in relational discipleship. One of the core values of our church is relational discipleship. In other words, we believe, I believe, that the Bible is intended to be read alone, but it's also intended to be read in community. That that, that the Bible is a community book, and, and the letters were written to be read to groups of people and discussed together, and, and that something happens when we gather around God's Word in a relational way. So, so we have Sunday schools and small groups. So some of you participate in both, and there's nothing wrong with that. Do, do both if you, if you have the time and the ability. Some of you just do one, and that's fine too. But, but my, my urging to you this morning, my request, my, the commitment is that you'll be in a Sunday school class or a small group of some type. That, that, that you will take intentional steps to study the Bible with other people. The third thing is this, I will read my Bible Daily. Um, it's finished in, in the spring or early summer, Neil Cole's book, Organic Church. And, and Neil Cole made a, a kind of an interesting observation in that um, sometimes we don't trust the word enough just to allow it just to wash over us and change us. <laughs> His suggestion to people that want to lead in, in the organic church movement and, and his movement and what he was doing is that they read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. <laughs> 10 chapters. Because he thought there was a value in God's word just washing over you. <laughs> and so the commitment I would first make is what I'd call the gospel challenge. You know, if you read one chapter of the Gospels every day, uh, through the end of the year, you'll get through the Gospels two times. If you read one Gospel chapter a day in a year, you will read the Gospels four times in a year. You know, I, I've been doing this, and I, you know, I've always, so a pastor started reading his Bible. No, <laughs> I've always read my Bible. I've always gotten through the Bible Almost every year, I'm sure there's years that I didn't quite make it, but almost every year I get through the Bible. And, and, but this year, for whatever reason, I, I've just developed this hunger for it. And, and so as we speak now, I, I, I'm within a month of being through the Old Testament twice, which I'm not sure if that's had as much value in my life as the New Testament, to be honest. And I've been through the Gospels four times and the New Testament twice. And can I tell you, even this morning, I'm, I'm reading and God's just speaking through his word. God speaks through his word. And if we really want to learn Jesus, one of the most dynamic things you can do, and, and, and I'm, I'm purposefully saying, or I'm purposely saying, consider focusing on the gospels. Because I got to tell you, sometimes in the Old Testament, I can get a bit lost. And then I get back to Jesus, and it begins to make sense again. And so my, my call for you today is 
what if you were just to read one chapter? Maybe you're already in the midst of a Bible study, and that's, that's good. But what if you were just to read one chapter in the Gospels through the end of the year? How long would that take you? You say, what did it take to the end of the year, Pastor? No. How long would it take you each day? 15 minutes? 20 minutes at the most? See, see, I would venture to guess it'd take 15 to 20 minutes to read one chapter a day in the Gospels. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I hate reading. Who hates reading? Raise your hand. I want to see the hands, okay? Do you know there's a wonderful little app that you can get on your smartphone called um, version of the Bible. And you know the version of the Bible that you can get on your phone has the Bible in countless, I mean, I don't even know how many translations it has. And do you know you can push a little button on your phone and it will actually read the Bible to you? Oh, wow. <laughs> Listen. Let God's word wash over you. And I added this one, this last thing. Um, actually, last night, I just woke up and, and thought about it, and, and I think it's right. The fourth thing is I'll be involved in ministry. I said, well, Pastor, how does being involved in ministry relate to being discipled? I, I have become convinced that we cannot fully appreciate or understand Jesus without our involvement in the work of the kingdom. And I say that based on when Jesus called his disciples before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, before the giving of the Holy Spirit, Jesus sent them out and involved them in the ministry. They were proclaiming the kingdom before they understood. And so what I've been getting to understand and believe is that we experience Jesus in our involvement in ministry. As a matter of fact, we maybe best experience Jesus in our involvement in ministry. That We meet the Holy Spirit and, and, and we begin to move with dependence on him. You know, all these things we do where we gather and we study the word, they're great, but, but God does not want us to depend on a church or a Sunday school class or a small group. He wants us to depend on him. And so when we're involved, it moves us out of comfort zones to areas where the only way we can get through is if we depend on him. For his help. God shapes us as we minister and as we serve. <laughs> Thought about that. We have VBS, and, and I'm sure we have spots available for you if you would like to serve in VBS. And, and you say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I just don't like kids all that much. <laughs> We're just an honest people here, aren't we? Maybe you could pray. I just thought about this as we were singing this morning. What would happen if you really didn't feel physically able 
to, to work with kids and, or, or, or you just really, it just really wasn't your gift. What if during VBS we had five or six or seven or 10 or 12 or 15 people that weren't otherwise going to be serving sitting in the back room praying for BBS? What would happen in our vacation Bible school? Do you think God could move in a new way? You know, from six to eight tonight, we're starting. Maybe you can't do every night. Maybe you do some nights. But, 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 if, but if you're not going to serve, could, could you at least pray? And if you can't pray here, can you at least be praying at home? I don't think there's anything so important on TV from 6 to 8 on Sunday nights. What's on TV from 6 to 8 on Sunday nights? Anybody know? If it's on Netflix, you can watch it some other time, okay? There's nothing so important that we can't spend some time praying and serving. I believe lives can be changed. As a matter of fact, we just had in our Wednesday night Bible study somebody talk about how they learned about Jesus in a vacation Bible school, that they had no other spiritual background, but they learned about Jesus in a vacation Bible school. And when they became an adult, they remembered, Jesus loves me. (laughs) And they came to faith. What if there's kids in our vacation Bible school this week that this is the only encounter that they'll have with Jesus? What could happen? We'll close with a story and I'll just read it to you. Tony Campola tells the story of a drunk who was miraculously converted at a Bowery mission in New York. Like all Campola stories, it has a jokey punchline that betrays a far more serious and convicting point. The drunk, Joe, was known throughout the Bowery as the worst kind of wino, a hopeless derelict of a man living on borrowed time. But following his conversion, everything changed. Joe became the most caring person that anyone associated with the mission had ever known. He spent his days and nights hanging out the hall, not balking at even the lowest, lowest of job. He mopped up vomit and urine and cleaned up drunks, whatever their condition. He considered nothing too demeaning for him. One evening when the director of the mission was delivering his evening evangelistic message to the usual crowd of the still and sullen man, their heads hung low in penance and exhaustion, there was one man who looked up, came down the aisle to the altar, and knelt to pray crying out for God to help him to change. The repentant drunk kept shouting, Oh God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. The director of the mission leaned over and said to the man, Son, I think it would be better if you prayed, Make me like Jesus. The man looked up at the director with a quizzical expression on his face and asked, Is he like Joe? (laughs) What's our hope this morning? Our hope is that we become so much like Jesus that when people see us, they see him.